Thank you for listening to the Martinis and the Macabre podcast. This show contains graphic content and explicit language. It is intended for immature adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you, everybody, for all the birthday wishes. It really meant a lot to me. Yes. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Birthday to you. You know, I remember this one time I discouraged a person from ever celebrating their birthdays. What? This guy had a birthday. Uh-huh. He was like, oh, this was on my uh, second tour of Iraq. And he was like, it's my birthday. I was like, that's cool, man. And then, like, he looked at me like I was, like, supposed to do more. And I looked at him. I was like, well... It's the day you were born. You didn't do shit. Yeah. That's how I've always really thought about it. If anybody deserves a party on a birthday, it's the mom because they kind of did the work. Yeah, I just got blinded by some light and cried. That's yeah, all I did. Yeah, yeah, I, I came out of a place I was really comfortable in for about nine months and then exposed to <laughs> this. Mm-hmm. And then I lost my shit and screamed my ass off. Yeah, this wasn't in the brochure, was it? No. Mm-mm. So, um, mom... Happy my birthday. Thanks you, for making Billy. You did good. Or bad. We don't know yet. Jury's still out. <laughs> Hi, guys. Welcome to Martinis and the Macabre, the podcast where we drunkenly discuss morbid murders, mysteries, and mayhem. I'm your host, Erica, joined by my husband and co-host, Billy. I've dodged death for 37 years. You're on my level now. Now we're both 37. Yeah, you're cradle robber. Oh, yeah, because I'm a whole nine months older than you. What's what's it like being old? You know now. You're my age. Yeah. Yeah, we just had him and Minimus Noah um, compare our feet, and they're practically the same size. And Minimus Noah turns 14 this week. So, yep. yeah. Biggin. Remember when he fit your shoes and you yeah. were all sad? Yep. He passed that shit up. Welcome to my world, Billy. I'm cool with it. <laughs> Before we start, I do want to thank all of the new people that left ratings and reviews. Um, we got new ones? Yeah, we've got several. Um, cheers to Not Drinking Loan from Kirsten32. You guys never have to apologize for fart jokes. You make me laugh no matter how dark the subject matter. You also make me drink, so thank you for keeping me company. It's Not Drinking Alone if the podcast host you're listening to are drinking, right? Anything's a drinking game if you want it to be. <laughs> exactly. And then another one from Aiden233. Fantastic. Best podcast I found so far. If you enjoy drunk history, this is definitely the morbid version meant for you. And that means a lot to me because drunk history is fucking hilarious. I love drunk history. <laughs> uh, another one from Mighty Mouse416. One of my top three favorite podcasts. And Tally underscore Lucky Banshee. My new favorite podcast lists the reasons. Erica, go. They are wickedly funny and they their take on true crime is exactly what I've been looking for. If you are looking for an informative true crime podcast that will keep you laughing throughout, Martinis and the Macabre is for you. So thank you to all you guys. We do still ask that you go on iTunes, leave us a five-star rating review to counteract those shitty one-star reviews that have said there's too many fart jokes or they were offended by our promo. Just because we made some jokes that 
were just generalized jokes. I've put the promo up on our Facebook page. You can check that out at Martinis and the Macabre. There was actually a thread about that and it is in the comments. I don't know how our promo offended someone to leave us a one-star review, but... You sound kind of bitter. No, no, no. No, it's fine. You sound like you're really taking it to heart. I could tell No, no, no. The look on your face. You look very angry. No. Okay. I'm just saying we need more fives to counteract the ones. I don't mind the ones. I think it's hilarious that our promo offended somebody because it was pretty clean if you listen to it. So I'm asking you as a listener, as a snuggle bunny, get on iTunes. Even if you don't have an iTunes account, set one up. It only takes a couple minutes. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. That would be so appreciated. I kind of feel like I want to know who the person was that wrote the review about our promo. Yeah. And then get their email address and then make a real promo and then email it to them <laughs> in a fucking soundbite. Let's uh, let you listen to what we really sound like during the show. It's okay if we're not for you. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's Move why on. there's that's why there's ID Discovery. Go do that. That's yeah. fine. So for all else, we are a comedy podcast, and this is true crime and dark subject matter and macabre and mysterious, and we put jokes in it. If you don't like it, okay, fine, bye. Be nice enough to not just totally degrade our whole performance here the bitter part's coming again (laughs) no i seriously i really don't care but it would be very appreciated if you guys could do that i'm taking the tone erica took when we first started the podcast um if you leave a one-star review and say why i respect it at least you took the time to say it um and whatever notes you have probably won't follow but (laughs) <laughs> you took the time to do yeah, it. We have we have had one person that left a star, one star, and didn't say why. Now that bothers me. Yeah, if I you, take if that. If you person, say why, then okay. Yeah, because that seems like somebody's jaded. Like you, like like if I tell you a joke, right? I'm gonna mm-hmm. tell you a joke right now. How many dead hookers does it take to screw in a light bulb? How many? Not four, because my basement's still dark. <laughs> now, if you if you looked at me and went boo, and then got up and left, I'd be like, "Fuck was that?" Well, and and the thing is, the lady that was offended by the promo, she was, like, making the assumption that we should never be making fun of any of this kind of stuff. So, basically, she gave us the bad review for all other true crime, morbid, dark comedy podcasts out there. We just happened to get the bad review. (laughs) Here's the way I see it. And we're going to get started soon. Here's the way I see it is all these things that we talk about are atrocious. They're horrible. They're Mm -hmm. sad. And some of it's depraved, and some of it is, lack of a better term, macabre. I think it's great if at least, at least, at the very minimum, every two weeks, you kind of let it down, let the walls down, and laugh at something that society says you probably shouldn't laugh at. Because exactly. if you don't like murder, if you don't like rape, if you don't like cannibalism, if you don't like mass disappearances, if you don't like um, the paranormal and everything... What we have to say will have no bearing on it because once the podcast is done, you're still going to feel the same way. Yeah. But for that 45 to 60 minute time period, you can laugh at something. And more often than not, you're not laughing at what I say or what Erica says. You're kind of laughing at yourself because you laugh and you go, oh, ooh. You know, and you're like, oh, fuck. Oh, that's rough. You know, and then, but when an episode's done, you don't feel any different about multiple 
killings, about serial killers, about child molesters, about mm-hmm. cannibals. It's still horrible. Mm-hmm. But you allowed yourself just a little fraction of your time to go, okay, what do you got? And then when it's done, <laughs> when it's done, you feel just the same. Yeah. And maybe there's some people out there that, you know, maybe reading about this stuff is just a little too grim for you to just kind of read in private. And you're learning about it in a fun way. Yeah. And if you don't like it, that's fine. I can't tell you how much shit's on fucking Netflix. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and watch it. They're good. What made me think of that was my my hero, Jim Norton, <laughs> talking about Daniel Tosh. Mm-hmm. Remember Daniel Tosh came under a lot of fucking heat yeah, for the rape, rape joke. joke? I personally feel he made a joke about rape. And that's it's fine. You don't have to like it. It's okay. But if you and the crowd stand up and start fucking yelling back, well, now it's not about rape. It's about you're a fucking heckler. And I'm going to fucking talk some shit. And that's why he said, oh, wouldn't it be crazy if somebody getting raped her right now? It wasn't like him trying to get somebody raped. It was about him shutting down a fucking heckler. He's heckling the heckler back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once, you, once you're a heckler, you're a target. Mm-hmm. You're a target. And whatever fucking he says, he or she, whatever they say, you have it coming. Because yep. you took this performance and made it about you and about how you feel. If you don't like it, leave. Yep. Same thing with our podcast. If you don't like it, there's a button. Unsubscribe. It's, yeah. it's, it's that fucking simple. And Jim Norton, he said, you know, however you feel about rape before you walked into the auditorium is how you're going to feel when you leave the auditorium. And I couldn't agree more. I don't know Daniel Tosh. I never will. But if somebody came into his dressing room and was like, that woman was gang raped in the parking lot, he'd be fucking appalled. He would be shocked. Mm-hmm. So... It had nothing to do with what he said. It had to do with the fact that you got all mad and then you got even more angry when you decided to chime in about it. You know what? Put it in your fucking blog. That's why when I redid the the disclaimer and intro to the show, I added that this is for immature adult audiences. So people would kind of get the hint. But just in case you don't, I know we've been going on for quite a while now, but... um, Sorry, guys. This is a comedy podcast. We're new boot goofing. And it's about dark stuff. And if you don't like those two coming together, kindly move on and thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. And thank you for making your opinion known. But while we're um, talking about thanks, I do want to thank our patrons. We have gotten several new ones just in this past, like, week. So I want to thank Kate, Hunter, Cooper, Bridget... Holly, Molly, Sue, Corey, and Amy Barton coming in at the Ballerio tier. We're going to be having her on probably on the next episode. Uh, have her do an intro. Amy is a Ballerio, and she actually sent me a couple cases that I'm looking into right now. So probably on our next episode, we're going to get a hold of Amy and see if she wants to do an intro to the show because she's a Ballerio. Yeah, I got to apologize. I have to make some of those keychains. Um, but I ran out of um, actual key chain, the metal circles. I got to go buy some more. I got the paracord to make them, but if I don't have a key ring to put in there, it's all for naught. So bear with me. I'm going to go out and buy some. Yeah, so you new guys that have joined our Patreon um, exclusive levels that get the keychain, uh, they will be coming. We're going to send everything together at once. So we'll get your certificates and stickers. And, of course, right now you have our undying love. I love you. 
let's move on to the show. And this is a big one. And it really is enough to be a two-parter, kind of like the last one was. I didn't realize how much information I really need to put into it. But we're going to try and put our heads down and carry through and just make this an extra long episode for you guys. Your work ethic is fucking amazing. Woo! All right. So this... At some point, I am going to tell you I'm going to get up and go grab a beer. I'll probably just grab the rest of them and just bring them in here. Do you need to do that now? I'm just going to go ahead and do it now. All right, so we're going to get into it. And just so you guys know, Billy just refreshed my drink and made it pretty fucking strong. So in an hour and a half, I'm going to be fucking slurring. Thank you for that. Wow. I'm the bad guy again. Yup. Well, tell you what. (laughs) Don't um, ask me to make you a fucking drink. Because when you ask me, I'll do it. This episode, we're going to cover one of the biggest multi-department fuck-ups in the U.S. government's history and the conspiracy to then cover it up. Billy was nervous about this because he thinks I'm going to get on some watch list. Uh, I've told him I already am. It's not. It's that, plus I think you're going to start watching like conspiracy theory things. You're going to start reading things, and then you're going to turn... I, I don't want you to turn to some Alex Jones I'm where, not, like, the no, frogs no, no. are gay. And, and I don't want no. you to... Yeah, no, okay. it's not like that at all. I don't want you to buy into no. stuff that's so fucking stupid. The plane was in the ground. Oh, my God. How's a plane get in the ground, Billy? Oh okay, anyway. So, we're going to talk about the siege on Ruby Ridge. And if you're not familiar with this case, it took place in Idaho in 1992, And it involved the FBI, the ATF, the U.S. Marshals, and even Geraldo Rivera with his majestic mustache. And Steve. There's probably a guy named Steve there. He's probably there. Yeah, probably. He probably drove the truck. You know, Steve. (laughs) The basics are that a man named Randy Weaver, he had an arrest warrant for failure to appear relating to a weapons charge. Sounds like a man named Randy, really. Yeah. So, Randy and his wife, along with their four children and a family friend, were forced into a deadly, quote-unquote, standoff of sorts at their mountaintop cabin that lasted 11 days, which probably could have been avoided if someone had just picked up a bullhorn to create a dialogue or sent in a proper negotiator. Randy sounds like the type of guy who knows, when you go to the gas station, like, what combination of fountain drink to mix to make it really good. And then you go to the slushy, not the red one, the blue one. He'll know that. He'll know that? He'll know that. Like, he'll be like, okay, maybe just put the bottom of the cup of ice and then go Mountain Dew, Coke, Mountain Dew, Dr. Pepper, Dr. Pepper, Mellow Yellow, Mellow Yellow, water, blue raspberry slushy filled all the way to the top. It's going to be the best thing you ever had in your life. That's a Randy to me. Yeah, maybe. This guy's a little bit different. And then he's like, you need your tires changed? I'm good, Randy. Okay, because I know tires. I know you know tires, Randy. Now, I did research multiple sources for this episode, but a lot of the direct quotes I got from a video on YouTube, it's called Government Murder at Ruby Ridge, The True Story, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And it's just like a, a slideshow of pictures with this guy narrating. And the narrator, who I'm assuming hosts a radio show that the audio was taken from, refers to direct court testimony, which he cites by the individual hearing and page of the documents. He's, like, on point with this shit. 
I did find some snippets of testimony on a few sites, but I couldn't find the entire transcripts. So I couldn't fully corroborate what he quotes, but I would be willing to bet that the quotes are 100% accurate. So I'm running with them as such, just so you know. So Randy Weaver was a former Green Beret, which is Special Forces, a combat engineer who served in Vietnam. He married his girlfriend, Vicki, in November of 1971 in Fort Dodge, Iowa. And over the next 10 years, they had three children, Sarah, Sam, and Rachel. Now, the couple's faith grew to what some would consider unorthodox Christian views. They believed that the government was corrupt, and they wanted to live off the grid and homeschool their children, which was actually illegal in Iowa at that time. So they began prepping. They started paying off their debts, and they began, like, testing themselves, trying to live with that electricity to kind of see if they could do it. Like, off the grid? Yeah. And then in... Are these the people that, like, bury a school bus in the ground and that's their home? No, It's like their no, no, bunker. No. no. Do you know who I'm talking about, though? Yes. Those type of guys? No, that's not them. <laughs> I so, have a feeling there's going to come a time in our future where we're going to be like, we really should have fucking listened to him. <laughs> oh, but I shouldn't listen to conspiracy theories. Yeah, you you fucking shouldn't have. And the link you're going to fucking provide, I'm kind of worried. No, no, it, it seems... Very legit. I have a feeling, and especially with the drink I made, that like by the end you're gonna be like two inches from the microphone, and you're gonna be like, "Do you want to know the truth?" <laughs> no. Okay. I hope not. No. Uh, so Randy and Vicky sold their house in 1983. <laughs> Randy and Vicky. That does sound like they belong together. Yeah. They sold their house in 1983, and they headed west toward the Rocky Mountains. Randy and Vicky sounds like you know when you go to the fair. And you get that airbrushed picture, mm-hmm. and it's like, Randy and Vicky, most wanted, <laughs> so hot. <laughs> I'm just saying, one of them probably knows how to start the Gravitron. I'm, I'm not wrong. I'm he not was wrong. a Green Beret combat engineer. I don't think he was working the Gravitron. He'd been to Vietnam. He started having distrustful thoughts about the government, he decided he wanted to have a family off the grid. So they sold their house in 1983 and headed west toward the Rocky Mountains, which are gorgeous. Beautiful. They ended up in northern Idaho in the logging village of Naples, about 30 miles from the Canadian border. They purchased 20 acres of land on a rocky hilltop, which is an area referred to as Ruby Ridge. And using mostly plywood scraps from lumber yards, they built a cabin and a nearby shed and started living off of the land. The next year, Randy got into a $3,000 land dispute with neighbor Terry Kennison. Terry's a dick. Kennison lost the lawsuit and was ordered to pay an additional $2,100 in court costs and damages. He didn't take the loss gracefully and instead wrote letters to the county sheriff, the FBI, and the Secret Service alleging that Randy had threatened to kill the governor of Idaho, John V. Evans, the president, Ronald Reagan, and even the Pope. You know, you'd have to really try... Actually, I feel stupid now. Somebody did try to kill the Pope. Somebody tried to kill Ronald Reagan. Somebody actually got him. (laughs) Didn't assassinate him. Actually, somebody got Reagan, too. Yeah. But, like, whenever I think somebody, like... Which is weird because, like, you have the president, but I think the Pope, the Pope is damn near, I mean, that's like a sovereign nation inside of Italy. That's very, 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 very well protected. And not because I like Da Vinci Code. I'm just saying that, like, 
he looks like a guy that's pretty hard to get to, but then there's a reason why there is the Popemobile. Yeah. Never mind. But it's funny that Kennison didn't have any problem with these so-called threats until he lost a lawsuit, and then he was like, oh, wait, I need to let all these people know he's wanting to kill all these fuckers. It, it kind of seems like when he lost a lawsuit, like, Weaver went up to him and was like, oh, by the way, did you know I was going to assassinate all these bitches? <laughs> Yeah. And then Kiss was like, word? <laughs> yeah. In a perfect world, that's how it would be. Yeah, so he sent all these letters out. He said it. He pinky sweared. Mm-hmm. After, you know, not only losing the suit and having to pay an additional $2,100. What makes you think, sir, that he was going to kill the Pope? I don't know. I mean, we do live in Naples. <laughs> well, Stupid. Uh, they they took these threats seriously. I guess they have to. Secret Service does have to investigate. Yes. No matter how frivolous. So a multi-departmental investigation was started on the Weavers in early 1985. Claims have been made to the Secret Service that Randy was a member of the Aryan Nations and had a large weapons cache in his home as well. Randy and his <laughs> wife Vicky were interviewed by two FBI agents, two Secret Service agents, and the Boundary County Sheriff and his chief investigator on February 12th. Randy denied all of the claims and no charges ended up being filed. But these different branches uh, decided to keep a file open on Randy Weaver. Just, you know, in the off chance. I don't blame him for doing that, but at the same time, kind of feel bad for Randy. I feel bad because he's like, wait, what? <laughs> what? Kill what? Yeah. What are you talking about? I turned the corner with some land, and you're talking about... I'm going to kill who? Mm-hmm. How? From How Idaho, up on a mountain. I'm in Idaho <laughs> on a mountain. And I'm going to go kill the Pope. <laughs> I built my house with plywood. I'm going to kill who again? Yeah, exactly. And uh, on February 28th, the Weavers worried about the recent fabricated allegations brought against them. Kind of like the fabricated fucking house he made out of plywood. Yeah. They filed an affidavit with the county courthouse alleging that their personal enemies were plotting against them in an effort to provoke the FBI into attacking and possibly killing their family. Now, I'd already told you guys, they were already distrustful of the government. Now they feel like somebody's putting this wedge between them and the government and it's going to force the government to attack them. So they filed this affidavit. So far, it sounds like the Weavers are being proven right. Yeah. They, they want to get away from the government they now they're coming the, at them. They thought the government was corrupt and believed that the government wouldn't really need much provoking. So they wanted to make it known that all of this was coming from outside sources that had a grudge. They were still so worried in May that they actually sent a letter to President Ronald Reagan explaining that their enemies may have sent him a threatening letter with a forged signature to make it look like it was from them. Yeah. Hey, bro, whatever you heard... I ain't did it. Yeah. They wanted to make it clear to all involved that they had not done or said any of the things that have been claimed. No threat letter to the president ever surfaced, but this quote-unquote letter, though it never existed, was allowed to later be cited in court in 1992 by the prosecutor as if it did exist, calling it, quote, overt act number seven, end quote, of the alleged Weaver conspiracy against the government, but... We'll get to that court stuff later. Wait, I'm confused. I know we're going to get to it there's, later. Yeah, there's a court case later, and the prosecution 
was able to actually mention in the proceedings about this letter that never even existed. So it's not physical evidence. No. It's just... uh, They're saying... They sent this letter. We don't have it. It never existed, but this is an overt act by them as part of their conspiracy against the government. Is this what's considered like a hunch? Um, No, this is cover-up. This is where the conspiracy part comes in. We'll get to it later. There's no letter if they don't have it in court. Exactly. Just keep that in the back of your mind. I'm going to save on that. Yeah, okay. In the Pacific North... Usually it's like Exhibit A, and there's not one. Okay, good. In the Pacific Northwest around this time... There had been a militant white right-wing terrorist group called The Order. They had bombed banks, hijacked armored trucks, and even murdered a Jewish talk show host because they thought these acts would somehow create a quote-unquote new white homeland. This group was brought down by the FBI, who then focused on the large Aryan Nations group that The Order had branched off of. And if any of you don't know about the Aryan Nations... They're a large neo-Nazi, political, skinhead, douchebag hate group, basically. They think they're better than everybody. Nobody's better than anything. <laughs> they're the ones doing the Nazi salute with the swastikas on their clothes and flags. Well, they had happened to have relocated just 70 miles from the Weaver cabin after the heat about the order. The FBI, uh, BATF, which is the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms... And state and local authorities were working together to try to bring them down and had managed to get paid informants into the group. So later in 1986, an undercover ATF agent named Kenneth Fadley met Randy Weaver. He introduced himself as Gus Magisano and he invited Randy and his family to the Aryan Nation's yearly weekend retreat called the World Congress. Or the barbecue. Yeah. For three days each summer, members and potential recruits would meet and have prep rallies, events, and special speakers. Basic racist douchebaggery. Uh, I couldn't find anything in the research that claims that Randy and his family were in any way racist, but they may have been separatist as part of their religious beliefs. And I'm not saying that's okay or it's not okay. That's the closest I could find to them in any way being racist. In one of the documentaries, Randy says, quote, you know the word racist itself is a good word. It means proud of your race. So I think to them, they thought whites stay with whites, blacks stay with blacks, and that just means you're proud of your race because you're proud of your race. So it's that fine line. I don't get it. I don't either. I don't, I'll never get it. Um, as far as race goes, I gotta say, like, even like stepping, I guess, kind of out of character... I'll never understand it. I'll never, I'll never comprehend it because we're human beings. I'm not trying to sound like all fucking hippie hipster, but we have bigger fucking problems in this world than how I I don't give a fuck what color your skin is. I don't Mm -hmm. care how you look. I have my own problems. I have my bills to pay. I have a family to take care of. The other day I made lasagna. That was a big fucking deal. That took all fucking day. <laughs> I don't care if a black person comes in and is like, what are you doing? Making lasagna, motherfucker. You going to help? You know, like, it doesn't fucking matter. Yep. I, I, I'll never get that. I'll never get how you could look at somebody and not even know them. Just look at them. Mm-hmm. How a person could look at somebody and be like, I'm better than them. Genetically, yep. I'm better. I don't, I don't get that. I don't understand that. It's taught to people from a young age. It it's, really is. It's learned by their parents and others around them. You're it's, never, it's something that's taught. It, it really is. 
hate in general is. I mean, because when you're when you're born, you don't care. You're still trying to figure out why you're eating your hand. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Remember, like Noah would like try to eat his feet, mm-hmm. and it's like he didn't give a shit what anybody fucking looked like. It, yep. I don't get it. Yep. I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal. It's just you're talking about something. This subject matter, I, I, um, I guess I'm ignorant. I guess I'm ignorant about this. Well, I was so ignorant that while I was doing the research and writing down my notes, I was misspelling Aryan. So, <laughs> tells you how much I know about those shit bags. But uh, anyway, regardless, the family went just a few times to this compound or whatever you want to call it, and they quit going. It wasn't their bag. They were like, this isn't for us. Yeah. So I don't know that they're true racist. Maybe they had some separatist ideals, but they decided the Aryan Nations wasn't for them. I get it. I could, I could listen to anybody, but when you start going like, we're the one true people, I'd be like, all right, uh, I'm going to go to Taco Bell. Oh, I got to wash my hair. Oh, man. Remember Erica? That thing? Erica, we have to go clean out the fridge. Yep. I gotta go. Bye. <laughs> we gotta reinforce the plywood on our cabin. You motherfuckers are weird. Gotta go. Bye. <laughs> Randy later claimed that he wasn't even aware of the scrutiny the Aryan Nations was under, which is completely believable as they were living up on a mountain by themselves. So they probably had no fucking clue what was going on in the world. So Randy and this Gus guy, as he's known, the gun runner, Kept in contact for almost four years, which tells me he was majorly undercover to keep this up for that many years. Gus noticed that Randy had several firearms, mostly rifles and shotguns, for hunting and protection up on the mountain. You live on the land. Yeah. It sounds like he just wanted to separate himself from, like, society. Mm-hmm. They, not... they wanted to completely just be off the grid, not be bothered by people. They just wanted their little mountain space that they spent all their money on. I mean, they bought this land and didn't even have money left to build the house. I mean, they used scraps from a lumber yard. So they put literally everything they had into this little quiet mountaintop where they were going to live happily ever after. I can't hate on that. I can make jokes about it, but at the end of the day, it's like, well... That's what they wanted to do. Fuck, you did your own thing, man. Hats off to you. Yeah, so, like I said, this quote-unquote Gus noticed that Randy had all these firearms... And in October of 1989, Gus asked Randy to sell him some guns. He offered $700 for two shotguns, but he wanted them sawed down to a specific length, which just so happened to be about a quarter inch shorter than the federal law allowed. There is a law. You can't alter that. And he was specifically trying to get Randy to shorten it to that length because it was just under that cutoff. I'm not that smart, but... Isn't it, like, entrapment? You would think. Am I wrong? Like... Oh, but Billy... You're, you're trying to Billy, get... Billy, you no, said I, I shouldn't listen to the conspiracies. No, no, no. I'm talking about law. <laughs> this agent... Mm-hmm. ...tried to get him to commit a crime. Uh, he did successfully get him to commit a crime. That's entrapment. You would think so. So, Randy, in need of cash, because selling firewood and canned berries just wasn't cutting it for them up on the mountain... <laughs> yeah, I He get eventually it. was worn down and agreed and sawed down the guns for Gus. Well, what did he do for berries? Did he make jelly? I don't know. Jelly's good. But they weren't making much money, is the point. They're just living off the land, trying to sell what they can, and it's not bringing in enough for them to get the things they need. Maybe it's the Tennessee and me talking, but if you put jelly on biscuits, I'll buy it. 
So not long after that, Gus was made by the Aryan nations. So his cover was blown. This guy makes me think like true detective. (laughs) And once Randy found that out, he quickly ended their friendship. He was like, no, I'm not friends with a snitch. You can just fuck off. So this was on October of 89. It wasn't until June of 1990, eight months after selling the illegal length shotguns to the undercover agent, that Randy was even approached by the ATF. They waited eight months. They quote-unquote entrapped them, as you said. The shotgun, Waited eight months. The shotgun thing bothers me like yeah. fucking crazy. Yeah. So... It'd be like... It, it, it would be like, like, you know, you go to like a white nationalist barbecue whatever they whatever they do Mm -hmm. i hope they're sparklers but we'll leave it at that (laughs) but when like if you're an agent and you're like hey wouldn't it be cool to go up to that black guy and shoot him no it wouldn't well if you're of your own race you would do it uh okay boom and they're like oh look what he did how is that not fucking entrapment good question he made him he 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 talked him into it. He talked him into it. Now, granted, Randy could have just said no. He could have said no the whole entire time, but he did it. But he was coerced. Mm-hmm. He would not have done that had that agent not approached him. Yes, exactly, exactly. Now, if you're an agent and somebody's like, oh, and Randy's like, oh, some you know, oh, dude wanted me to saw off a shotgun. If the agent's like, well, I'm not going to stop you from doing anything. Well, then I think the agent's not in the wrong. He's not getting in the way of it. He's going to let you do what you're going to do, and mm-hmm. you can be prosecuted. But to suggest it, that's a that's a different kettle of fish. Yep. That's one of the things that will bother you during this whole story. So, yeah, like I said, eight months after he sawed off these guns and sold them to Gus, the undercover agent, it was only then that Randy was even approached by the ATF. Now, since they had lost their man on the inside, Gus, they decided to go for Randy. They threatened federal charges on Randy if he would not agree to go undercover for them to infiltrate the Aryan Nations. So now they're holding this over his head, telling him, if you don't go undercover in the Aryan Nations, we're going to charge you for those guns you sold eight months ago. That... Yep. Doesn't... Yep. But... Yep. The whole... Yep. Okay. So, Randy's response was, quote, you can go to hell, end quote. And Randy would later say, quote, if I'd have joined their team and become a snitch and started working for them, none of this would have happened, end quote. Now, not long after this meeting, Randy was indeed indicted on federal charges because he would not turn over and become their snitch. Now, for six months... There's nothing wrong with not wanting to be a snitch. Oh, yeah. That's fine. But they're saying, now we're going to charge you because you won't work for us. But the the thing that gets me is, like, if none of you guys ever fucking showed up and just left me with my land Mm -hmm. and my house, this would never... Yep. This would never fucking happen. Yeah, and you don't even know what happened yet, do you? I don't know about Ruby Ridge. Yeah, it's going to get bad. Heard of Ruby Ridge, but I don't know the, the, the facts. Yep. So, they'd already waited the eight months to approach him. So, it was at least eight months before he was indicted. And then, for another six months, the ATF held off on arresting Randy amid worries about his large number of guns. You're very passionate about this, I could tell. 
Yeah. You're using it really your arm pisses a lot. me off. You're using your arm a lot, and you're like really trying to. It really it. just rubs me the wrong way. Now, in January of 1991, Aegis posed a stranded tourist whose truck had broken down at the foot of the ridge, and they waited for Randy to snowmobile down to the county road. Randy stopped to assist, and as he looked under the hood, the agents arrested him over a year after selling the guns to Gus. Over a year. At his arraignment, Randy was allowed to use his property as his bond. You know, everything that he'd put into this one place. That was all he had. Like put up for collateral? Yeah, to use as, you know, like bail for collateral. Like take the title of my land, just let me out type of thing? Yeah, just hold on to it. But the magistrate wrongly tells him that if he is found guilty, he would lose his home, which is pretty much the only thing he and his family had. Didn't he just give it up to get out? No, it's just used as collateral. And then he goes to court. It's just saying, if you don't show up for court, we can use this against you. Oh. As long as he goes to court, everything's cool with the house. But for some reason, this magistrate told him, if you lose in court, we're going to take your fucking property. So in his mind, he imagined Vicky homeless and the children being taken away. So Randy's distrust and dislike of the government grew even more, understandably. I can't blame him. Yeah. So the courts mailed Randy's notice to appear with the wrong date on it. It was set for February 20th, 1991, but the paperwork listed it as March 20th, 1991. So of course, Randy didn't show up February 20th. You wouldn't. Your paperwork says March. You were never told to show up. And on the 22nd of February, a bench warrant was ordered. The court was notified of the error on Randy's notice, but the judge refused to withdraw the warrant, which is quite fucked up if you ask me. Sounds like a bit of pride. You knew it was wrong and you still let this warrant go through. Just, I don't understand it. So, the Weavers actually heard on the radio that Randy skipped court and that he was now considered a federal fugitive. (laughs) The U.S. Marshals had decided to hold off on enforcing the warrant until after March 20th to see if Randy would show up. They were actually kind of cool about it at first. They were like, let's hold off. Let's not arrest him. If the paperwork is wrong, let's see if he shows up on the 20th. Okay, I get that. Fair enough. But then in the meantime, a grand jury was called on March 14th, six days before he was technically supposed to show up in court, according to his paperwork. Grand jury was called on March 14th by the USAO, which is the U.S. Attorney's Office. The erroneous letter was not brought in before the grand jury, and they issued an indictment for failure to appear without any evidence of this letter being incorrect. But the marshals still didn't act on it. Good. But by this point, Randy is starting to feel certain that a major conspiracy is at play. He was already untrusting of the government. Now they've pretty much railroaded him into thinking that he's going to lose his property because he didn't show up for this court appearance that he didn't know about. Which So he's thinking, this is a conspiracy. They gave me the wrong date. So I would be, you know, in violation of not showing up for court. He wouldn't be wrong in thinking that. And he basically decides, what's the point of going to court on March 20th if I'm already considered a fugitive? I mean, I won't even get a fair trial. Sounds reasonable. If this happened to me, I would feel the same way. So the Weavers felt like they were being persecuted, 
not only for their religious and political beliefs, but also because Randy wouldn't turn snitch. They decided they were going to make a moral stand against what they saw was an unjust government. So Vicky started writing letters to family, friends, and government officials to make their beliefs clear. Now, I've already told you they're a very strong Christian family. It's kind of unorthodox. She, in the letters, referred to the U.S. Attorney for Idaho as a, quote, servant of the Queen of Babylon, end quote. The fuck is that? The whore, I had to look this up too. I had kind of an idea, but I wanted more specifics. The whore, capitalized with the capital W, the whore or idolatress of Babylon in the Bible is a mythical female associated with the Antichrist and the Beast of Revelation. So she's basically saying these attorneys are servants of this mythical whore associated with the Antichrist. She also states, quote, We believe we may have to defend ourselves and our family from physical attacks on our lives by the federal government. And, quote, We will not bow to your evil commandments whether we live or we die. End quote. So she's saying, you guys are going to come and attack us. We're going to make a stance because this isn't right. When you throw all the religious mumbo jumbo mm-hmm. out of it, that's what she's saying. Pretty much like you're going to come at us and we're going to stand up for ourselves. Yeah. So in April of 1991, the marshals sent a case file of Vicky's letters to a psychologist for review. You know, instead of trying to communicate with the family, they're like, we're going to see what the psychologist thinks about her letters instead of actually trying to create a dialogue. It sounds like they're trying to prove themselves right Yeah. about something. So the psychologist sent back a psychological profile in which he doesn't even call the family by the right name, calling them the Randalls instead of the Weavers. So top-notch psych guy right there. He claimed the family was paranoid. I wonder why. They are now, yeah. And uh, stated they were being led by Vicky, the fierce matriarch. Ooh. He also stated that they were ready to fight to the death, which Vicky stated herself, but as a defense. This made the quote-unquote threat of the Weavers seem much worse. There's no threat. It's just... She's not saying, we're going to go out in a blaze of glory. She's saying, we're going to defend ourselves. Yeah. But he made this sound like it was a threat. But no one actually reached out to communicate so they could get any kind of different side from the Weavers. This is all coming from the government and who they're hiring. And everyone's thinking, oh my God, these people are crazy. They're they're up there on the mountain and they've got this fortress and they're going to come down with a hail of gunfire on us. No, that's not what was said. If they just talked to them, maybe they would have understood that. But moving on. So to add to that quote-unquote threat... On April 18th, a helicopter for Geraldo Rivera and his TV show, Now It Can Be Told, did a flyover of the Weaver property. U.S. Marshals received media reports that the helicopter was fired on from the Weaver residence. That same day, the Marshals were installing cameras around the property, and a field report filed that day by a Marshal Mays reported seeing a helicopter but not hearing any shots. But Geraldo claimed it. So it stirred up the media and got the situation national attention. The helicopter pilot, Richard Weiss, eventually gave evidence in an FBI interview at a later date that no shots were fired on the helicopter. So that's fucking shady. So now the government thinks these people are out to get them. And now the media thinks, oh, well, they're out to get the government and whoever comes by. So, of course, national attention. 
Now, as the months passed, and this is literally months passing, the marshal stayed close to the Weaver property, observing, but never approaching, citing a fear that a violent confrontation would erupt. And in the meantime, the Weavers welcomed their fourth child, Elisheba, in October of 1991. That's a pretty name. Elisheba. That's nice. Vicky gave birth to her in the shed, which is sometimes referred to in some sources as the birthing shed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This little shed that they made, that's where she gave birth. Like pioneers did. And the Marshalls left the family alone for the winter, and life carried on uninterrupted until spring. So... We're coming up on three years since he sold these guns. <laughs> Nothing's happened yet. These guns that he was coerced into exactly, altering. Exactly. The whole thing may have just been dropped at that point. They may have just said, let it fucking go. Or at least handled it more delicately if the media didn't rear their head again. Even if they didn't want to get close. Grab a bullhorn. Hey, Randy, can we talk? Start a fucking dialogue. Yeah. So, we're now into March. March 8th of 1992, a year after the so-called quote-unquote standoff began, a newspaper in Spokane, Washington, ran an article accusing Randy, a fugitive, of, quote, snubbing his nose, end quote, at the federal government. Now, of course, this becomes an uproar, and the national spotlight is once again turned towards the Weavers, and more importantly, the Marshals. I don't think he's snubbing his nose. I think he's standing up for himself. Exactly. But... The media is portraying it like this, and this story becomes a thorn in the U.S. Marshal's side. So three weeks after the Spokane article was published, a meeting was held at the Marshal's headquarters in Washington, where Operation Northern Exposure was formed. Now, the goal of the operation was surveillance and eventual apprehension of Randy Weaver. Over the next five months, five months... Solar-powered cameras were strategically placed around the Weaver property. They recorded over 2,000 hours of footage, which Randy and Vicky's daughter Rachel would later call an invasion of privacy. The footage shows the family in their day-to-day tasks around the property, and they were always armed. At some point, the family is joined by 23-year-old Kevin Harris, a young man from Spokane who had lived with the family previously in his teenage years. He looked up to Randy as kind of like a father figure, and he was always armed when going outside as well. I mean, there's bears and shit out there. Yeah. You stay armed in case you come across something. As the months go on, surveillance and media coverage escalate, and Randy starts to become a local folk hero as neighbors start showing their support for the family. The family was aware that they were being watched and waited for officials to knock on the door, but it didn't come. The government began looking at the Weaver home as some kind of fortress housing a crazy militant family despite never seeing any signs of physical aggression or violence. And the U.S. Marshals called in the SOG, or Special Operations Group, which is a highly trained tactical team because, you know, you need a specialty group to arrest one man in a house with just two other adults and four children. That's just, that's what you need to get control of these people. If you know how to do your words right, it could be one man with a revolver. You could do it. You could squash the whole fucking thing. Uh Uh-huh. So now they're calling in reinforcements for this family up on a mountain ridge living by themselves. Yeah. In their little shack cabin built with plywood. Yeah. With uh, masks, uh, suppressors, uh, full tactical gear. Yes. Full tactical gear. 
So from here on out, I'll be using... Well, if you're going to do it, do it right, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <right? laughs> going to be a monkey, might as well be a gorilla. If you're going to be a monkey, you might as well be a gorilla. So from here on out, I'll be using a lot of references and quotes that were cited in the YouTube video I mentioned as being from direct court testimonies. Now, he cites each quote as coming from specific hearings and trials, and he cites the pages they can be found on. I'm not going to do that, but you are more than welcome to research them if you like. What can be gleaned from multiple testimonies from preliminary hearings, grand jury hearings, and an affidavit is that the marshals had gone onto the Weaver property more than a dozen times for reconnaissance in the month leading up to the real standoff that started on August 21st, 1992 which is just around the corner, the anniversary. They found during their recon and surveillance that the Weavers greeted people on their property non-violently every time, even some that they thought were possibly federal agents despite being armed. No one was ever attacked or injured. Now, despite this... They were just good people. Yeah. Despite this, a group of marshals was set to do another deep recon on August 21st, 1992. They were under strict orders to not confront or engage the Weavers, especially not the children. And at this point, Sarah was 16, Sam was 14, Rachel was 10, and Elisheba was still a baby about 10 months old. Aww. That's how long this has gone on. She's been pregnant, had a baby, and the baby's gone on a year. And nothing's ever been done. I bet she was cute. <laughs> According to grand jury testimony... The marshals went to a firing range in preparation for this quote-unquote recon mission. They spent several hours zeroing their weapons and even brought a medic and medical equipment as if they were already preparing for injuries to occur on a recon mission I when they were not supposed to engage the family. I can't knock the people training to do that. They were told to do that. It's the people that decided they need, these people needed to be there, these operatives. Mm-hmm. That they needed to train to get ready for such a thing. Yeah, that's where the blame goes. It's it's, it's not the it's not the guys with the weapons. I don't know. Hold your thought there. You may feel different in a few minutes. I hope so. This whole thing seems a little hinky. I hope not. <laughs> I hope it, it 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 falls under the whole thing where like you know, old men declare war, young men fight it. The the people who are training, they're just doing what they're told. It's the people that are telling them to do it. Okay. Well, That's, that, that seems to be the let's problem. Let's see how this plays out and see how you feel about it. Okay. In the early morning hours of August 21st, a team of six SOG agents dressed in camouflage with no visible identification of who they were. Shouldn't be. Yeah. Fully armed sense. and wearing night vision goggles. Hiked well, up- no, you don't, wear, you don't wear anything identifying who you are. That's the whole point. Well, and that's the point I'm making is... If it's supposed to be recon and you're not supposed to engage the family, why are you zeroing your weapons and bringing medics on for, you know, on-site support the day before? Well, you're preparing. You're bringing medics just in case something goes wrong. You have a medic. The um, scouting uh, or recon. Well, you're doing what you're told. But if if I'm going to go on an operation... I'm not going to wear my wedding ring. I'm not going to wear anything that has my name. There's no wallet on me. You're not going to know who I am. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So That's security. So you would agree That's, that if these people are seen by the weavers, they would have no clue who these people are. All I'm saying is the people that did it, 
That's security for them. I understand that. You that. can't not be identified. But the higher up should not have ordered this shit and sent strangers up onto a hilltop with what a family armed say? with guns. What did I just say? What did I just say? It has to do with the people okay. that ordered them to do it. So the guys that did it, I understand they that did part. Their job. But what happens later may not be from the higher ups. Let's just okay go into it. Okay, so they hiked up the ridge for the final phase of Operation Northern Exposure. They were split into two teams. One By team. The way, that's the lamest fucking name for a fucking operation. <laughs> One team consisting of Marshals Arthur Roderick, Michael Cooper, and William Bill Deegan would approach the Weaver cabin, and the other team would stand watch at a clearing area called the Y. You know, I actually would understand if you call it Operation Will Deegan. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Bill Deegan. Bill Deegan? That sounds kind of badass. <laughs> Operation Northern Exposure is a go. Okay. Operation Bill Deegan is a go. We're going to kill everybody. (laughs) That's not the point, though. They're there for recon, Billy. I'm just saying. So. Weak-ass name for an operation. Yeah, those three would approach the property, and the other team would stand at this clearing area called the Y. Now, according to court documents, the marshals were aware that if the weaver's dog barked, that Randy, Kevin, and often 14-year-old Sam would exit the house to investigate. And, as said before... They were aware that the Weavers were always armed with rifles and that the Marshals had been strictly ordered to not engage the family, especially the children. These Makes are, sense. These are important things to remember as I go through this. If, you're, if your dog barks and you're known to go out, go out. It's your property. That, 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 those are your firearms. That's your dog who's alarmed. Yep. Well, court documents show that Marshal Roderick admitted to throwing rocks towards the house when the team got near, basically to taunt the dogs and get them to bark. It's unclear if this was planned, but I'm betting it probably was. So Roderick throws the rocks, the dogs start to bark, and then Weaver's Golden Lab Striker runs in the direction of the marshals, as dogs do. Now, a marshal named Jack Clough would later tell the media that the Weavers unleashed their dogs on the marshals, which was a complete lie. But of course, the media ran with it. The marshals start to retreat to cover as Stryker is running up on them. Randy, Kevin, and Sam come out to investigate, as usual, thinking maybe the dog was trailing a large animal, which, if they could catch it, meant food. The group split up, with Kevin and Sam following Stryker and Randy taking another route around so they would come around and meet on the other side. Well, Randy is suddenly confronted by a camouflage marshal in the trees near the Y, telling him to freeze. Now, Randy didn't fire on the man, but instead turned to run back up the hill, yelling at Kevin and Sam to get home because there was, quote-unquote, an ambush. They didn't hear him, and they kept following the barking dog. That was his land. He, he could say that. Yeah, and he didn't fire on the marshals. He retreated. You know what I would do? Tranquilize a dart on the dogs. In a blanket. That's all you need. Why do you need to throw rocks to the house to taunt the dogs? There's no need. Exactly. There's no need to do that. So, do you think but, a higher up told him to do that, or you think he just did that shit on his own? Yes and See? no. Yes and no. This is where it starts yes to get kind of no. gray. Yes and no. Because <laughs> um, any soldier will do what he's told. But if you're special forces, you make it work. But this, uh, is, you know, this isn't special forces. This is a recon mission. You're supposed to be in and out, 
unseen, unknown, and you're throwing rocks at a fucking dog. Okay. All I'm saying is what I would have done, tranquilize a dart, hit the dog with a dart, tackle it with a blanket, wrap him up like a little fucking burrito. Now, that dog is incapacitated. And you could do that like five or six times. You don't have to fire a shot. But you wouldn't even have to do that if you hadn't thrown the fucking rocks up there to make the dog bark and chase you. I'm saying what I would have done. I'm just saying. This whole thing could have been avoided if he not thrown oh, the fucking sure. rocks. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There was no point in There's throwing no the point. rocks. There's no point. I can't picture somebody above me going like, throw a fucking rock. I'd exactly. Because, be like, like, people, like... Uh, I think Roderick was just a fucking asshole. I'm thinking, like, uh, special forces, right? Mm-hmm. Special forces, they're like, throw a rock. And they'd be like, um, sorry, um... Why? I'm a college graduate. You want me to throw a fucking rock at a dog? What is it you're trying to... Why am I here? <laughs> type of thing. But you don't question this shit. It, it, it comes from the higher ups. What you're supposed to do, when you're supposed to do it, how you do it. I can't see throwing a pebble Well, and when I could just take a dart gun and be like... Yeah. That's, dog's down. That's part of what makes this so uncertain about what exactly was ordered to happen and what happened that's weird so this is weird yeah so randy's met by the the camouflage guy and he doesn't know who the fuck he is he just knows there's some strange guy on his property he automatically thinks there's an ambush he starts hollering even if it's not an ambush there's a guy in camouflage on your property something's with wrong a, a, with a big fucking weapon something's wrong exactly now they couldn't hear him because the dog was barking so wouldn't be if i was in charge Dark blanket. In the other group, the marshals hid in the bushes as Stryker approached. Marshal Cooper was armed with a 9mm submachine gun equipped with a silencer, which was allegedly to be used to shoot the dog. Some testimony indicates that killing the dog was part of the plan during the recon, but Cooper didn't shoot as planned because Kevin and Sam were close behind. There's some uncertainty as to whether it was a plan to shoot the dog or not but he allegedly was supposed to shoot the dog but he saw the two following the dog and so he didn't because they weren't supposed to engage the family so he followed his orders yes good so cooper didn't shoot his plan because kevin and sam were close behind and he said quote if i killed the dog i believed it would precipitate a firefight i can just feel the bullets flying at any time end quote so Cooper lets the dog pass as he takes deeper cover with Marshall Deegan. Now the dog ran about 20 to 30 feet past Roderick, the asshole that was throwing the rocks. But still, as far as this operation goes, they're not engaging. They're not yet. Hold on. So the dog ran past Roderick about 20 or 30 feet, and he must not have seen them in hiding. So obviously, I told you it was strong. It was a strong drink. <laughs> so... Obviously, the dog didn't see them because he ran past them. They could have just stayed where the fuck they were. The dumbass dog. And let the shit just play out. But for some reason, Roderick decided to shoot the dog. In its back. Up until then, I respect the fact that they did not engage at all. He shot the dog in its back, despite it not seeing them, and despite the fact that he knew some of the Weaver family was following closely behind, which they were instructed to not engage. That dog did not deserve that. That dog was just being a dog. Well, the bullet, and if you're an animal person, this is bad. 
The bullet shattered Stryker's spine. And this is coming from the, the doctor that did the autopsy on the dog. They did an autopsy on the dog. That's fine. It it's shattered, a living being. That's fine. It Please shattered do. Stryker's spine, but didn't kill him right away. He yelped and dragged his back end around. Aww. All of which was witnessed by 14-year-old Sam. He just saw his dog get shot, and now it's dragging its back legs and oh, crying. Poor little tyke. Sam saw an unidentified man in camouflage. Mind you, Sam is 14. And this he is sees, all while they're saying, like, we're being ambushed. Yeah, he sees some guy in camouflage that just shot his dog, trespassing on his property, and he saw red. He yelled, quote, you shot my dog, you son of a bitch, end quote, and fired towards a man with his twenty-three caliber Mini-14. His shot missed, and the marshals returned fire on Sam, even though he didn't hit anybody. Okay, I can understand. I'm not, I guess I am being the voice of opposition, but if you're the guys outside, even the guys who are like, you just shot a fucking dog. Doesn't matter. Rounds are coming. Boom, 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 boom. You're going to return fire. Doesn't matter who fired the shots. It's just like... He fired one shot and he didn't hit anything. They returned all fire. one shot and then you're going to return fire. I, I see your side there. But they were under strict orders not to engage. This is a 14-year-old kid. I get that. They were engaged. They, they, hadn't, I, I they would not have been engaged if Roderick hadn't shot that. the fucking I get dog. That. I get that. But if you're outside at the time... You can't think about that. Okay. You, whenever, whatever happened, happened. You just got shot at. Doesn't matter if it hit anybody. Doesn't matter if it was one round. You just got shot at. You are just, right now, at that point, you are engaged. There's nothing wrong with returning fire. I'm not saying that, that what should have happened happened. But if you question that person, they were like, Okay. I got shot at. Well, was it, I, I had to return fire. All right. They returned fire on Sam. He was hit in the arm. Sorry, buddy. Both he and Kevin started to retreat back to the house, Sam screaming in pain. Mm-hmm. The marshals continued firing as the two were running away. Okay, that, not, that should not have happened. They then heard Randy yelling to get back to the house, and Sam called out, I'm coming, Dad. A shot rang out and hit Sam in the back. And he dropped. Now, see, like, whenever he fired and you fired back and you heard him scream. As soon as they started running away. As soon as they start running away. Put your weapons down. You have something. You have fire superiority. You are now, for that one second, you were not in charge. You got fired upon. You fired back. You are now in charge. There is no reason to fire another round. Yep. So, Kevin, fearing for their lives... He sees Sam get shot in the arm. He turns around as they're running and shoots back in the direction of the marshals. And he was under the belief that he hit the one who had actually <laughs> shot Sam. Sure. He made his way to Sam, but quickly realized that Sam was dead. Wait, I'm sorry. Shot in the arm? He was shot in the arm, turned around and ran. They shot him in the back. Uh, in the spine, uh, just like they did his dog. The so, doctor that did the autopsy actually did the autopsy on both of them. So, uh, dad just saw red? No, the dad was still running back to the house from the Y. He didn't even know. Okay. Sam and Kevin were separated from him. There were two different recon groups. 
So he's running back to the house expecting them to come running up behind him. So all I'm saying is that team that just got shot at fired back and he got hit in the arm and he got hit in the back too. He got hit in the arm. He turned around and started running and then they continued to fire and shot him in the back. Well, as him and Kevin were running up, I back get to that. The house. I get that. I get that. But this isn't like a wide open field. It's a bunch of shit going on. I'm not defending this. This is horrible. But it, I think the whole thing went fucko from the dog getting fucking shot, and the dog. Is it never to, should have come to no, this. No, 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 three no. years after he sold some fucking guns. Oh, I get that. I get that. <laughs> I'm saying like what happened. The instance that happened. The incident was dog got shot dog's trying to crawl himself away with his front paws because the back of him is gone it's not gone but it's it's limp he's paralyzed Mm -hmm. you know and then a boy saw it and was like oh fuck this and started firing as soon as he pulled the trigger like i said with the heckler as soon as you pull the trigger you are a target now and as much as i hate it as horrible as it is you're a target. You have to be neutralized. I understand that. And he was shot in the arm and, and he, he probably would have survived and if they'd stopped firing when he turned to run away. But the thing is, though, is once you fire that shot into his arm, you can't go like, got him, guys, stop. No, there's a whole line of guys. And there's another bullet that's in the air that hit him in his back. You can't stop it. You can't unshoot that round. It is what it is. And it hit him. Okay. It's horrible. It's horrible. It's a horrible thing that fucking happened. But if he... It sounds like I'm victim blaming. If he never fired that round, he'd have never got shot in the arm. He'd have never got shot in the back. We don't know that. We will never know. They shot their dog and they weren't supposed to. No, they weren't. They weren't. It's wrong on all sides. Yeah. For sure. And this is three years later. None of this should have even happened. But No, no. They never should have fucking been there. Okay. But what I'm saying is... If you shoot a gun at federal officers, you shouldn't be surprised if you get shot in the that. spine. I understand that. He's also a 14-year-old. <laughs> and he still has a spine. Okay. So. You suppress the threat. Okay. He was a threat. They suppressed it. I'm not saying it's right. It's horrible. But here we are. So, Kevin, like I said, realized that Sam was dead. And the marshals had shot a 14-year-old who was running away and already injured in the back and killed him. Yeah. Back but at, at the same time, if he's running away, he's not a threat. He's exactly. not a threat if he's trying to run away. That's my point. He's not a threat. But you can't say what happens in a firefight. It's chaos. It's fucking chaos the, the entire time. It's You you don't know what's, what's up, what's down. Uh, they never should have fucking been there. In the first place. Mm -hmm. My opinion is Roderick did it to incite the family to cause this. Absolutely. Just my personal opinion. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think they never should have been there. They did the wrong thing. They got a reaction. And that's what happened. But at the same time, you're looking at the guys who are on the ground who have nothing to do with this. They had nothing to do with it. They, 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 They were called in and given weapons and saying like, hey. Such and such, such and such, such and such. You know, if this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens. And then, like, it, it could be like, boom! Oh, fuck, you just shot the dog! 
Oh, God, that dog is crawling. I have a feeling the two other marshals probably felt that way. Why the fuck did you just shoot that dog? Why did you shoot that dog? Exactly. I'm with you. I am with you. My point is, is when a shot rang out from them, it was a contact front, and then boom, 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 boom. I, I guarantee you, they didn't even know it was a kid. I guarantee you. They had no fucking clue. It was, okay. boom, rounds coming in, contact front. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, you shot him in the back. Okay. Well, fucking he shot. He shot. What was I supposed to fucking do? Well. This is why I'm here. This is why I have tack gear. This is why I have a helmet. This is why I have an assault rifle. I am here for this purpose. He fired. Okay. I'm going to try to be a dick. I understand that, but we need to move on. I'm just trying to be fair. (laughs) I understand. I'm not a bad guy. I didn't say you were. I'm not. (laughs) So... Randy, who was back at the house, fired a shotgun and pistol into the air to try and get Kevin and Sam's attention because they hadn't returned yet. But only Kevin returned. And when the smoke cleared, the marshals found that William Bill Deegan was dead, shot through the chest. They knew they were in deep shit. They had violated the orders to not engage the weavers, especially the children, and then shot a dog and a child in the back. I think at that point you are engaged. But if you're thinking about just the general story here, we weren't supposed to engage anyone. We lured the dog. We shot the dog. And then we shot the kid. And they were both shot in the back. All I'm saying is... I'm not talking about the semantics of... We've already been over that, Billy. (laughs) The guys that showed up, they were told... I understand. Stay here. Do not engage. Do not fire until you're fired upon. They were fired upon. I understand that. But in their minds, they're thinking, we have to explain all this. Now, as you were saying... Yeah, yeah, you you do. You you, do. You didn't think that they would know that Sam was a kid. Now, there was no way Sam could have been mistaken for an adult, as court records from the autopsy reported that he was the size of a 10-year-old, only about 75 pounds, which is 34 kilograms. So he was much smaller than what an average 14-year-old would be. Maybe this is where we differ. His voice hadn't dropped, so he still sounded very much like a child. I don't need to hear your voice if you're firing a weapon. He shouted, you shot my dog, you son of a bitch, before he fired. So mm-hmm. they would have heard him even if they hadn't seen him. Okay. Okay. So if that happened, do you think the guys outside would have been like, you're just a kid. You're just a if they 10-year-old were in, boy. Don't do it. If they had cover behind trees, he fired one shot and then turned around and started running. I don't see a reason to return fire. He didn't hit anyone, and he immediately turned around and started running. That's saying that, like, what, just let him fire until he hits something? He didn't, though. Ah, well, he fired no, one shot and then fine. turned around and ran. That's fine. Don't fire back. Let him look off a couple more rounds. He engaged. Okay. He engaged, and they returned fire. It's not right. It's a horrible fucking situation. He engaged. I'm not victim-blaming. He was upset. His fucking dog just got shot. Mm-hmm. But you can't expect somebody who's on a line who was called from God knows where they were before to say, hey, sit in the fucking tree line and then don't engage. Well, and and then then they, they didn't some, even announce themselves. They didn't even fu- say who they were. And then some fuck ass shoots a dog mm-hmm. and then a kid gets upset. The kid can get upset all he wants. 
But, but the, the minute, minute he turned around and started running, they shouldn't have continued firing. All I'm saying is the minute that you grab a rifle, you are now a man. Okay. You are now a man. You have just fired around at people. You should not be surprised if rounds come back. Now, it's horrible. It's horrible. It's a, it, it, I, I don't approve of this at all. But to be like, oh, no, they shouldn't have. I mean, like, fuck. Like, if he just started popping off fucking rounds, say it was more than one. Should everybody just bunker down and be like, no, he's just a kid. He doesn't know. No, I'm not saying that. You're getting fucking shot at. I'm not saying that. They enticed this whole situation by shooting oh, the dog did. right in front they of did. him. They did. They did. They incited this whole fucking thing. This would have never happened if they hadn't have done what they did. Exactly. I'm with you on that. So, but you can't knock somebody for firing back if they got shot at. Okay. So there was also the issue that one of their fellow marshals was now dead. And they knew his death would be heavily investigated. And although Kevin thought he hit one of the marshals, an autopsy on Deegan would reveal that he was shot by friendly fire during the attack. So they had managed to kill one of their own as well. It's an oxymoron. They were firing so crazily that they shot their own guy. Yeah. Of course, Kevin only returned by himself and had to give the rest of the Weavers the horrible news that Sam was dead. So while they were trying to absorb that, two of the marshals from the Y that hadn't even been in or witnessed to the shootout ran for, allegedly, an hour to the nearest neighbor's house. I have no fucking idea why they didn't just go back down to their base camp, but they supposedly ran for an hour to a neighbor's house. And Marshal Dave Hunt called 911. Don't they, like, have fucking walkies or something that they can just, like, radio in? Hey, there was a shootout. I don't know. It'd be easier to go to your own house and run an hour. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But that's what they did. I used to live in the country. And and I used to live like cornfields and soy, all that shit. And Mm -hmm. it took me like three minutes to get to the next person's house because of their crop. Well, I mean, they're up on a mountain. So... I understand if it took a while. I don't think it took a fucking hour. It and I don't understand why they went to a neighbor's house instead of just going back down the mountain to their base camp. Seems easier. But anyway. So Dave Hunt called 911 and uh, reported that a marshal was down and that the others were, quote unquote, pinned down by gunfire. Even though the Weavers and Kevin had all retreated to the house, these marshals were, quote unquote, pinned down by gunfire. Yeah. Which was absolute horseshit. horseshit. As the Weavers were all in their house mourning Sam's death. Fuck, you already shot a kid. And I'll try to insert a little bit of the audio from the 911 call here. Now, during this time, there wasn't any gunfire or yelling, so the Weavers thought that the marshals left. So they went down to get Sam's body, and they brought it back, they cleaned him up, and they placed him in the shed in preparation to try and bury him. And while that was going on, local law enforcement began evacuating all of the neighbors from the area to close off the entire ridge. So news spread fast through the media, of course, as Marshall Hunt also made calls to the sheriff's office, the marshal's office, along with several other calls telling everyone that the marshals had been ambushed and that the marshals had not fired back. 
which how would he know this during this time? I mean, he wasn't even involved in the gunfight unless the marshals who were involved lied about not firing back. They shot a dog. So that's what he's telling everyone. He made all of these calls, not just, hey, boss, we've got a problem. He's calling everybody and saying they fired on us. Now, also during this time, the marshals remained, quote unquote, pinned down for 12 hours until a SWAT team came to rescue them. They Good. needed to be rescued while they were pinned down by all that gunfire from the family cleaning up their dead son. Good job, SWAT team. <laughs> I, I guess it's hard to escape from a murderous family that's prepping their son and brother for burial. So, I'm so, not defending this. So federal government policy dictates that if a federal officer is killed, then the case must be turned over to the FBI. So the Washington, D.C. office of the marshals called them in. Now, at this point, the FBI didn't really know any details of the Randy Weaver saga over the past two and a half years. All of their information was coming from the panicked and obviously confused U.S. Marshals and what they heard from the media. The press was told by Marshal Clough that the Weaver's dog attacked two of the agents, and another Marshal told them that Randy had opened fire on the Marshals. Oh my God, are the agents okay? (laughs) Yeah, Randy, who never even fired his gun. But in this version, he said that the marshals did return fire, but it was at Randy and Kevin Harris. So everybody is telling people completely contradictory stories. And to top it off, the killing of Sam and Stryker were completely omitted in the report to the FBI and the press, and the marshals acted as if no one was killed besides Deegan. We were pinned down by fire. They shot our agent. We don't know what the fuck happened, but they pinned us down for 12 hours. It was crazy. So these agents who are highly trained mm-hmm. were pinned down mm-hmm. by who? Even though there was a secondary team that could have surrounded them and taken them out if they needed to. I mean... But they ran to the neighbor's house an hour away. The whole thing with the kid... Okay. Well, the kid's dead. Mm-hmm. He's the one with the gun. He was the immediate threat. Mm-hmm. How are you pinned down? Exactly. Seems They like- had to come up with a really good story. Seems like you eliminated the threat and you can pacify the situation. You could have pacified it in the fucking beginning by not showing up. You could have pacified the situation by not shooting the fucking dog. I understand returning fire. Not even throwing the fucking rocks. I do understand returning fire. You're fired upon. I understand that. You return fire. Uh, But the threat is eliminated. So. And then lied about everything. How are you pinned down? Did they have a Black Hawk? How are they pinned down? For 12 hours did so they, they could sit there and have time to come up with their fucking story did they have a 50 caliber machine gun a browning an m2 browning you would think that would fire on them you would think is this world war ii yeah they they and later, where is it idaho yeah okay they later claimed that they didn't even know that sam was dead or who shot him even though it happened right in front of their fucking faces And uh, the marshals told the FBI that the Weavers embraced the ideologies of the Aryan nations and that the driving force behind the Weavers was Vicki Weaver, who had been inside through the whole incident. That's nothing to do with anything, given the fact that you just killed your biggest threat, Mm -hmm. which was a child. You have fire superiority. You have control of the situation. And this is what they're telling the FBI, the oncoming government agency. This is what they're telling them. That Vicky was the fanatically re- religious zealot 
who, unless neutralized, would prohibit the surrender of the family by killing herself and the children. So Vicky, who had nothing to do with the shootout. Was she telekinetic? Evidently. Did she have mind bullets? It would have to be like an RPG or a fucking bazooka. Well, Why would you not approach the house and take the house? Somebody shot at you. Mm-hmm. You dealt with that. Take the fucking house. If it's that fucking important to you, mm-hmm. take the fucking house. Well, the marshals eventually did finally admit that Sam was dead, but they didn't acknowledge that they killed him. You know what this makes me think of? Remember South Park? Mm-hmm. The Hunters? Nah, he's coming right at me. Mm-hmm. Type of fucking thing. Where they, they, they took out the kid. I'm sorry they did. And once that's done, they all laid down and was like, they're shooting at us. Like, no, they're not. They're not shooting at anybody. Mm-hmm. Their kid just fucking died. If you want it that bad, go take it. King of the Hill, go take it. Take yeah. your flag. You're done. Well, like I said, they admitted the Sam was dead. They didn't say that they killed him. And they informed the FBI's hostage negotiator of this. And he thought, quote, my God, the Weavers are killing their own children, end quote. No, the people outside killed their kids. No, no, no. They didn't admit that they did that. So the negotiator was under the impression that they shot their own kid. Well, don't bullets do that? Mm -hmm. The rifling, the um, caliber of the round... Uh, versus the fact of the caliber of the round fired from the weapon. They don't know this. They've got a family up there with a dead kid on a mountain ridge. Um, At this point, they don't know anything except what the marshals are telling them. I mean, like, it could have been, like... Yeah, a bunch of horse shit? Yes, that's exactly what they told them. Like, if they had a twenty-two rifle, but the kid was killed with a five five six. They don't know this. They just know there's a dead kid up on that mountain. The marshals are not saying that they killed him. This is all they're telling the FBI. This is fucking stupid. Yeah. There are no records of whether the FBI did any kind of independent inquiry or investigation on their own to gauge the actual threat posed by the Weavers or to verify the Marshall stories. Now, instead of actually investigating what had occurred, the FBI just rolled with what was being told to them and spit out the same lies to the public. Well, they know, don't they? The Weavers were white supremacists who attacked the Marshalls and killed Officer Deegan pinned the other marshals down with gunfire and that they were holding their children hostage and using them as quote-unquote human shields. And then the boy managed to shoot himself in the arm with a rifle. And then shoot himself in the back yeah, with the stories, rifle. The stories just got more and more grandiose and fucking stupid. They kind of made it worse. <laughs> so the FBI called in their hostage rescue team, or the HRT, which is considered one of the most elite groups of snipers and soldiers in the world. They also called in the National Guard and Armored Personnel Carriers, or APCs. They were brought up to the ridge. Officers from Washington, D.C., Salt Lake City, and Spokane were mobilized as well. Two large government transport planes brought in equipment like helicopters, radios, TV equipment, and a fucking robot were delivered. And Steve. (laughs) And Steve. The ATF was on site as well as the Delta Force. The Red Cross was called in to set up a facility to feed all of the officers and personnel now on the scene. Special Forces Operation Delta. In total, over 400 government and military personnel all converged at the base of the ridge. For one man, and through all of this, no direct line of communication was ever made between authorities and the family. And they called in 400 people for this one man's warrant for failure to appear on a gun charge. 
You know what makes you think of? Remember in the 80s and 90s, that Satanic Panic? Mm-hmm. Kind of like that. Yeah, a little bit. They kind of went ape shit over really nothing. So they called in all these people. But on the other side of this, there were also over 2,000 protesters roped off at the foot of the ridge who had come to voice their anger at the show of force by the government. Now, during their flight into Idaho, the head of the HRT, Dick Rogers, and the FBI assistant director, Larry Potts, consulted with each other over the completely insane information that was being reported to them. And they decided, based on this bullshit information, that drastic measures needed to be taken, like they hadn't already. I mean, they they already seemed to go pretty drastic, if you ask me. It seemed like, to me, like one of those things was like, you know what? Shut it down. <laughs> Shut it down. Fucking kill them. End it. Well, thing. they drafted a special rules of engagement which was unprecedented in the fbi's history wasn't that clear don't engage the family no no no. they made a special rules of engagement oh i get that but i'm saying like the rules of engagement that were there before was do not engage they needed more what like fucking walk away (laughs) i'll tell you it gave snipers a ridiculous amount of freedom outside of the usual fbi standards and was supposedly authorized by George H.W. Bush's White House administration, so Papa Bush. They were handwritten on a piece of paper, and cursive, and were as follows. If any adult male is observed with a weapon prior to the surrender announcement, deadly force can and should be employed if the shot can be taken without endangering any children. If any adult in the compound, and now they're calling it a compound, this plywood wasn't cabin. it refurbished fucking plywood yeah it's a compound i guess if, anything's a compound if you want it to be if any adult in the compound observed with a weapon after the surrender announcement is made and is not attempting to surrender deadly force can and should be employed to neutralize the individual if compromised by any animal particularly the dogs that animal should be eliminated yeah they took care of that and any subjects other than Randall Weaver, Vicki Weaver, Kevin Harris, presenting threats of death or grievous bodily harm, the FBI rules of deadly force are in effect. Deadly force can be utilized to prevent the death or grievous bodily injury to oneself or that of another. End quote. So, these obviously illegal rules of engagement basically rendered the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the whole due process thing, completely, like, null and void. This meant that any adult exiting the house, whether they appeared menacing or not, armed with a weapon, even a BB gun, must be, quote-unquote, neutralized. If they left to hunt, to lay in the sun, or to just go to Sam's body in the shed, and they happen to have a gun on them, consider them dead. That's what bothers me, is this whole 3 percenter thing. That's your property, if you have a weapon shouldered, nobody should say anything to you. Now you pick the weapon up and point it. That's a that's a different exactly. that's a different kettle of fish. But if you have a weapon shouldered, you are no threat. Yeah, well, you can make yourself a threat by all means. You can, and then by that right, yeah, uh, you should probably be gunned down. If, if if it's a showdown and you walk out with a weapon on your shoulder, you're fine. You grab that weapon and point it. And you're gunned down. Well, you have nobody to blame but yourself. But they're if, basically trapping this family in the house. They're kind of holding people hostage. Exactly. Am I wrong? Well, doing this meant the FBI could eliminate virtually 
all of the witnesses that could have testified to the illegal acts of the marshals on the Weaver property, including the murder of Sam Weaver. And this killing of the adults would somehow avenge the death of Marshal Deegan, even though they killed their own guy, but they didn't know it yet. So they could wrap up their whole story with a nice little bow and a few questions. Kill yeah. them all. They can't go against what we say. Story's tied up. And I understand because we have the, um, what's it called? Um, best Hits. Conscience. The, best Hits of the 90s DVD or CD we could listen to. We're talking about the Spice Girls. I get it. It's fine. What does the Spice Girls have to do with anything? We have to distract the hits of the 90s, the hits of the 2000s, the hits of today. Don't worry about this. Touch me to be my lover. (laughs) I'm just saying, Erica, 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 look at me. You gotta get with my friends. Don't look over there. Zika Zika. (laughs) Is that what you're telling me? Is that what you're laying down? Yeah, I mean, I mean, kind of, sort of, really, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> remember Jinkos? Yes. Okay. I do. do you remember Ruby Ridge? Mm-hmm. From back then. Mm-hmm. Remember how bad that was? Yeah. Did you study on it? Mm-hmm. We had Jinkos. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> we got it. Your distraction sucks. It worked. <laughs> no, it didn't. It fucking worked. You're the one person. We're all like, what's Michael Jackson doing? So these rules were to be executed by a group of snipers the next day, August 22nd. Now, there's no record of the FBI trying to set up any kind of communication with the Weavers before setting this whole thing up. I gotta say something. Like The snipers were set up and they're like, all right, you have your orders. But you you got the radio next to your mouth. Okay, it ends now. Alpha 1, are you ready? Roger, this is Alpha 1. I have questions. Disregard. Alpha 2, are you ready? Roger, I guess I'm ready, but I'm with Alpha 1. I'm wondering some things right now. Disregard. Alpha 3, are you ready? Tree? You say you say tree. That's not three. Really? Yeah, the phonetic. Yeah, it's tree. Tree, are you ready to engage? Roger that, ready to engage. I just have a... And then like the radio just cut out. Like, nobody is comfortable. Snipers, go! No, nobody's comfortable what's happening right now. It, like, like, it makes me think of uh, the negotiator when they have the shot. Uh, Abraham from The uh, Walking Dead, he was like, you have a shot? Roger. Take the shot. Roger. He won't fire because in the movie Negotiator, he's firing on a cop. He won't do it. He's just like, Roger, take the shot. Roger, can you take the shot? Roger. Like, he wouldn't fucking back off. He had to be relieved of his position. This doesn't seem right. I agree. Didn't seem right from the beginning, but this is a measure that's... It's not fair. You're on this guy's land. He did nothing wrong. Well, the snipers were briefed in the afternoon and were told the same BS that everyone else was told. The team was to set up around the Weaver property, armed with Model 700 Remington single-shot target rifles that were equipped with 10 times power scopes and i hope i'm saying that right oh it's just the magnification yes it's 10 times has nothing to do with the power of the rifle it has to do with the power of your sight these rifles were designed for shooting at distances up to 1,000 yards the snipers were also supplied with highly accurate match grade ammunition okay that's a thing that's a thing yeah they were meant to fucking kill now the scopes just means you could be further back 
Yeah. Well, one of the main snipers was a man named Lon Horiyuchi. He would later testify that the team had a strategy to kill the adults. They set up a strategy to, to take kill. These, to kill the adults. To kill the adults. If one person exited the house, the team would wait for all of the adults to come out before opening fire so they could get them all at the same time. Right? Just get them all. Gotta catch them all. Fucking Pokemons and shit. I would, you know... I'm not, like, piggybacking on their shit, but I would totally do, like, a full metal jacket thing. As soon as somebody came out, kneecap. Have everybody come out and help. And mm-hmm. then save rounds. Yeah. I'm being objective. I'm not talking about this situation. I'm just saying, like, that strategy, I would I would just pick one off and then just wait for everybody else to come help. And then, well, instead of waiting for a fucking party <laughs> and then fucking firing away... Well, that evening, Randy, Kevin, and 16-year-old Sarah decided to have a final look at Sam before his burial. Randy and Kevin had rifles on them, and Sarah did not. They walked out of the house and headed towards the shed. Now, about 200 yards away, just 200 yards. Now, mind you, these rifles can go up to 1,000 yards. He's 200 yards away. Lon Horiyuchi and another sniper named Dale Monroe were set up with their sights set on the group. As Randy reached for the latch on the shed door, a shot rang out and Randy was hit in the shoulder with the round exiting his right armpit. The three of them immediately turned to run back to the house with Randy in front, Sarah in the middle, and Kevin at the rear. Now, if if, if they had come out of the house with their rifles on their shoulders pointing, mm-hmm. I understand. But if the, if the weapon's just hanging yeah, down... just had them hanging down. There's no threat. Now... They're headed back to the house, and upon hearing the shot from the house, Vicky, holding baby Elishaba, and Vicky's not been involved in any of the shooting shit. And I think Elishaba is still a cute Yeah, name. she's holding baby Elishaba. She ran to the front door and held it open for them, yelling for them to get back inside. Now, as they ran, Horiyuchi zeroed in on Harris and fired just as he got to the door. But the round hit Vicky. Aww. It entered her head through her cheek, went through her mouth and tongue, through her jawbone, and cut her carotid artery on its exit. So that'll do it. Yeah. The round proceeded to then hit Kevin in his rib and lung cavity and into his arm. Vicky started screaming. I'm not going to lie, this one hell of a shot. Which... That did a lot of damage. Yeah, her screaming was later confirmed by Horiyuchi. He could hear it from 200 yards away. Yeah, he did it. Yeah. She, she kneeled down on the floor, still holding the baby, and bled to death in a matter of minutes. Just... Blood. Cor- uh, cor- carotid artery is gonna yeah. Artery? Cor- carotid artery. Officer Officer. <laughs> now at the time the commander of the sniper team, Gene Glenn, claimed they weren't even sure what the sniper had hit. And I've got some audio I'll put in here about how Randy was feeling at this time. When I turned around and saw him land there. My, you know, I knew from then on we were dead meat. They were just murdering us now. And uh, you have to be there to understand the feeling. It was like I didn't even care anymore. Uh, I just wanted to kick the door down so I could take a couple with me. Lon Horiyuchi would later testify that he saw the three people come out, but that he didn't realize that the female was 16-year-old Sarah and not Vicky but he did admit that he didn't see a rifle on her. He also claimed that he mistook Kevin Harris for Randy Weaver, 
despite the two having over a 20-year age difference, looking nothing alike, and Kevin being a foot taller than Randy. Plus, all of the snipers had been given photos of the three adults for identification, and he was looking through a scope meant to visualize up to 1,000 yards away, and he was only 200 yards away. Yeah, you're kind of supposed to be given a picture of what they look but, like. But he doesn't if, know who they are. If you're that far away, you have to be given a picture so when you put them in your scope, mm-hmm. you know who the fuck you're looking at. Exactly. He also claimed that he didn't see Vicky through the window in the door when he fired the second shot. The door had a window, and she's holding it, and he shoots through the window and hits her. But he didn't know that he was aiming at her. Gosh, golly willikers. According to him. There is some debate over the number of shots fired. Horiyuchi claimed he only fired two, the one that hit Randy and the one that went through Vicky and into Kevin. But some people claim they heard a third shot, which would mean he fired two separate shots towards the front door, one for Vicky and one for Kevin. Here's my thing, is you say you fire two shots, right? Mm-hmm. What do those shots do? You can't just say you fired two shots and like, oh, I pegged him. No, that shot could go through somebody's neck. Mm-hmm. That's a devastating... Whatever bullet you fire at a person is devastating. Mm-hmm. And when it hits them, it could be life-threatening. Yep. It actually will be 90% life-threatening. So it doesn't matter. I mean, oh, I only fired two. You could have fired one. Well, the, still would have the been issue is they're trying to determine whether he deliberately aimed at Vicky while she's holding her baby. Did somebody deliberately aim at somebody... And had a sniper rifle with a scope who had a 10 times mm-hmm. magnification. Yeah, he said he only fired two, and the third shot that was heard was just an echo. I'm not going against what anybody says, but um, he knew what the fuck he's shooting at. Exactly. Um, it, 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 it was and other scope. people said they heard three shots. How can it be an echo? Was there an echo on the first one? Because if he really fired two with the echoes, there would be four shots that they claimed. The echo, they claimed three. The echo could clap. But but then there would be four shots if he actually fired two. It could be three, and you heard four because of the echo. But he fired one, there should have been an echo. He fired the second one, there should have been an echo. So there's the... the, the, the they re- should have heard There's what... the report from the round mm-hmm. and the echo. That's four sounds you hear. Yeah, but people are saying they heard three. That's not possible. If they heard three actual shots. If they're not including the echoes, they're saying they heard three. So there's some debate as to whether he actually deliberately fired on Vicky or not. In my opinion... Of course, he's saying he didn't know Sarah wasn't Vicky and he didn't know Kevin wasn't Randy. And he doesn't know who he's shooting at, but he thought it was three adults. In my opinion... Through the scope. uh, Not to sound bigoted or anything like that, but you just fired on a woman who's holding a baby. Mm Mm-hmm. So... In the face. uh, It doesn't matter how many shots. One shot is one shot too many. Yeah. Uh, the the guy slinging the rifle. I guess you could try to work that how you want to. It won't yeah. work out for you. Well, and you know if you're but aiming, you at, shot a woman holding a baby. And if you're aiming at center mass on Kevin, how does that line up with her face? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not a magic bullet. And even so, you have to pick up a rifle. When you pick up a rifle, you narrow your stance. Center mass. You can't get center mass. Unless you're you're offset to the side, then you can. Then you can. Then you could blow his back out if you're off to the right or off to the left. If you're facing him straight on, you're gonna wing him. But that's no excuse for yeah, as he's shooting a woman the in the house. face while she's holding a baby. 
There's All no right. excuse for that. So, the FBI now had a big fucking problem. Yeah. They didn't have a warrant for Vicky. Seems like they're tripping over themselves. She hadn't been involved in the shootout the day before. She wasn't armed and was inside her house holding her baby. Holding a baby? When their sniper killed her. They had no legal or moral justification for killing Vicky, just that it was an accident. See how hard it is with the magic theory, the magic bullet theory with JFK? Yeah. That's hard. That's hard to prove. Well, so what the FBI came up with to tell the media was that they had been forced to shoot Kevin Harris, accidentally shooting Vicky in the process, because Kevin was preparing to shoot at one of their helicopters flying overhead. You know, with his rifle over his shoulder. Even so, it's a rifle. What's that going to do to a helicopter? Well, the pilot would later testify that he stayed out of the range of rifle fire, and eight snipers, eight snipers would testify that they didn't feel the helicopter was in any danger. Yeah, it's a multi-million dollar fucking piece of machinery. But Horiuchi would admit to shooting Kevin to save the helicopter, though he also admitted that he didn't even know the location of the helicopter when he opened fire. He's at more danger of getting shot than the helicopter ever fucking would be. He said, quote, At this time, I decided I needed to shoot that individual to protect the individuals in the helicopter. End quote. Commander, the helicopter that was safely away. Exactly. Okay. Commander Gene Glenn went so far as to log that the FBI helicopter had drawn fire from inside the house and that shots were then exchanged between the snipers and the Weaver family from inside the house which doesn't even make sense since the three were running back into the house from outside when Kevin was shot. Just a completely blatant lie. Yeah. So, Commander Richard Rogers, or Dick Rogers, would later tell a grand jury, quote, The shots that Lon Horiuchi took at about 6 p.m. on the 22nd of August was the last shot that I'm aware of that there were fired up there. End quote. But even without the helicopter, quote-unquote, threat... Horiuchi would technically have had the authority to shoot Kevin, who was armed, according to the bullshit rules of engagement that they made up. So basically they were trying to peddle any kind of story that would make it okay for them to have shot Randy, Kevin, and Vicky because they knew their quote-unquote rules of engagement were absolute bullshit and the public would be outraged. Because if they're following those rules, technically he had the right to shoot at them. He, he, I mean, but they knew the public was going to have a fucking heyday if they knew that these rules of engagement existed. Exactly, exactly. It's the higher-ups. Whoever did it with the rules of engagement, oh, he did what he was told. Mm -hmm. he, he followed his orders. It's whoever decided these are the rules of engagement. He's the person that needs a fucking answer to it. But, I mean, how do you explain three people getting shot, all of which the sniper claims to have, quote-unquote, misidentified, from only 200 yards away with a super powerful scope when there's still daylight out. I'm still trying to figure out the fucking helicopter thing. Yeah. They didn't take any shots. They just made this shit up. They literally made the shit up. I mean, from what you're saying, it looks like the government engaged them. Mm-hmm. Now, like where we went to earlier, they were wrong to shoot the dog. <laughs> the boy engaged them. They fired back. The Weavers weren't engaging anybody. They are going to see their dead son and brother. But with this... No, I'm talking about with the initial dog getting shot, dragging mm -hmm. his ass away, the boy getting mad and shooting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, cause, cause and effect. Uh, it, it, it's unfortunate, it's horrible, but you can't expect to shoot at people with guns and expect they won't shoot back. They will. And I'm not supporting them, I'm just saying this is reality. 
but these the, these rules of engagement are absolutely illegal. Ridiculous, exactly. It's illegal. It's mm-hmm. illegal. You're calling on taking on human life with no cause. Mm-hmm. And you're you're calling on taking human life with no cause inside of your country. Yep. It would be different if you were in Laos. It would be different if you were in Cambodia. It'd be different if you're in Iraq. It's not different if you're in fucking Louisiana. That's different. And you just make these up and write them down on a lined piece of paper. And I've seen it. It's a lined piece of paper written in cursive. Yeah. Just make them up on a flight and this is what we're going to follow. Yeah. You can't do that. There, There's laws. And at the same time, I, I, I literally cannot knock the guy who follows those rules of engagement. If that's what he was told, that's what he will do. But it's morally... You should question these rules of engagement yes, because you yes, know they're yes. illegal. If you feel, and you are allowed to, if you feel like there there is an order given to you that is illegal, you mark the time, you mark your name, you give your serial number or you give your social security number and you say, at this time, I am not acknowledging your order. I am going to disobey you. And you're going to, you're going to catch shit for it. You're going to, you get article 15, you're going to get court-martialed. But if you have a good enough argument, then don't worry. But... It always answers to, it goes to the guy in charge who made him in the fucking first place. Mm-hmm. And the guys in charge that made these rules were going off of the bullshit lies that the marshals told yeah, them. Yeah, it looked like just This like, is a huge clusterfuck. It looked like just like, try to find any fucking reason you can to shoot him and then do it. Yeah. Well, and... and I mean, this... they had their weapon slung. Yeah. I, I understand. I, can, I actually could understand if they came out and tried to like hold a perimeter... Mm-hmm. And then raise their weapons to try to secure the place. No, nope. you if you're they were single file heading to the shed. If you're a sniper and then you try to secure a perimeter, once they raise their rifle or weapon, you can see it as an act of aggression. Shoot them. That's fine. That's fine. You'll have to answer for it, but you did what you were supposed to do. It looked like it was basically this was an assault. It mm-hmm. was really an assault, kind of like one of those. Um, give me a fucking reason. Yeah. Type of thing, you know? And, and at this point, the FBI claimed that they were completely unaware that Vicky had been shot and killed. They proceeded to try to... She en- was holding a baby! They proceeded to try to engage with the Weavers as if she were still alive by a negotiator and a psychiatrist trying to speak directly to her, even though she was dead. Now, was it for public show, or did they really not know? Randy was yelling to the authorities that his wife had been killed, but somehow they didn't quite hear him. Even though the guy with his massively powerful scope didn't know that he shot her. <laughs> Makes me think of like that guy with a bullhorn and the guy and Randy's at the window is like, you killed my family. And it's almost you like know? psychological trauma because they're talking to her like she's still there asking her questions about the baby. And, you know, the baby's going to need, you know, milk and diapers and supplies. And they're hearing all this and feel like they're being taunted by the government officials because they know that they shot and killed her, but it's it's almost it psychological just, torture. It just always makes me think like like he's at the window like, You killed my family, what have you done? Oh my god And then there's like a psychiatrist at the door with a bullhorn like How do you feel? Yeah. Yelling at the dead. What's going corpse on there, Vicky? Her. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. How was your childhood? Yeah. Well, this stand- bleed bleed heavily if the answer is yes. <laughs> well, this standoff continued for another 10 days, and I'm just going to hit the highlights for you guys. 
So on day three, a remote controlled robot that I mentioned before was brought in to take a phone up to the cabin to try to start a dialogue. Giant number five. Oh, now they want to talk. Ah. (laughs) Now they want to talk. Giant number five. Yeah, Johnny number five. Negotiators wondered why Randy wouldn't answer. Hmm. Maybe it was the fact that he felt if he stepped outside, he would be immediately gunned down. Or maybe it's the fact that the robot had a fucking shotgun strapped to it. Pointed at the front door. There's nothing but wrong answers here. Yeah. So, uh, with the robot still parked in front of the cabin's front door... I would door, totally, if I was Randy, I'd be like, can you just mail me a letter? <laughs> just mail me a letter. No, then he'd have to walk to the mailbox. Can't do that. So Yell what you want. Get a bullhorn. We could talk. Give me a bullhorn. Throw through the window. Don't send a robot with a goddamn shotgun. <laughs> Pointed at the front door. So, with the, the robot still parked there in front of the front door, an APC approached and began pushing and crunching anything out front to kind of clear the area. And one of the HRT men, which is the hostage rescue team or whatever, they jumped out of an APC and decided to check the shed just to see what was inside. And that's when Sam's body that had laid there for two days was seen. But of course, the FBI didn't know anything about Sam being dead, did they? They didn't do nothing wrong. Gene Glenn later stated, quote, we had no information that he'd even been shot at, end quote. You know, like when he came face to face with the recon team who shot his dog and shot him as he ran away. I guess the marshals just failed to pass that little nugget of information along. Hmm. So they decided to wait until the next day to release that information to the public. And the public was fucking livid. And you can see them in the one of the documentaries screaming and crying and yelling at the authorities people were actually starting to camp out at the barricade staying day and night in protest and it was people from all over the country including the douchebag skinheads and neo-nazi white supremacists and they were holding signs that said things like randy weaver a true white patriot so the yeah. place was turning into just an absolute media circus it's a circus that yeah. just fed more into the story that randy was some kind of white supremacist which he wasn't so it makes me feel like Randy would be like, could you guys not? Yeah. Fucking just do this? don't just stop. <laughs> Got enough problems. My kid's dead. Now, day five of the standoff, the FBI decided to finally investigate the crime scene from the original shootout involving the marshals. It took them five fucking days to decide this was a good idea. And they immediately found out that the marshals reports were greatly exaggerated. For marshals that were pinned down under fire for 12 hours, the site lacked the huge number of shell casings casings, and bullet holes that would be expected. So the FBI said, oh, fuck, what do we do? And they called off their trumped up rules of engagement. I'm just saying it sounds like there was more fight on our last episode with the aliens. You know what I'm talking about? More fight. Oh, between rounds. Yeah. More ordnance being fucking... Mm -hmm. Like, on our last episode, they were like, yeah, we did it. And then, like, they came back and were like, yeah, they did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look at the shell casings. This one, they were like, how are you pinned down? Did they pick up every round, every shell case? Did they dig it out of the fucking trees? Mm-hmm. If they did, where's the holes in the fucking trees? Yeah. How did this happen? Well, in the cabin on day six, Randy dictated a letter for Sarah to write, laying out everything that had happened to the best of their recollection in case something was to happen and they didn't make it out alive. 
they kind of wanted the truth to be known and truly felt like they might die. On day seven, a retired army colonel named Bogreitz, who was known for his work with soldiers uh, missing in action, announced in front of the crowd a citizen's arrest on four of the top officials involved at Ruby Ridge. He would later say that his plan wasn't to actually arrest anyone, but to just make the people's voice heard and to try to work out a way to get up to the cabin and talk to the weavers himself. And the next day, Randy agreed to talk to him. Seems so, fair. So, Bo walks in to find badly wounded Randy and Kevin, Vicky's decaying body, and then learns about Sam. So, now the cat's out of the bag. Bo relays this information to authorities and the public, and a new wave of fury erupts at the barricade. Authorities are being called child killers, and a nearby dead end sign is spray painted now to say, Dead Mother and Child. Despite this, negotiators then claim that 16-year-old Sarah was filling in her mom's shoes as the strong one and claimed, quote, At this stage in the game, once again, the children are deciding what's going to happen next. Sarah wasn't buying it. She didn't want to come out, end quote. So which is it? Are the kids calling the shots or are they being held as hostages and, quote, unquote, human shields? So Bo returns on day nine and discovers that the robot, Still sitting in front of the house has a, get this, 12-gauge sawed-off shotgun attached to it, and it's pointing directly at the front door. Commander Gene Glenn acted like he couldn't even remember what kind of weapon was even on the robot and called it an oversight. Oh, wow. Big bummer. Oh, we forgot that was on there. Ooh, sorry. It's a firearm. A family friend named Jackie Brown. Don't shame me. I'm shaming you. That stunk. It only came from my asshole. You guys can't smell it, but I can. Ew. I farted. (laughs) So a friend named Jackie Brown was allowed to go up to the cabin and was given the dictated letter, along with a list of supplies the family needed. And by the 10th day, Kevin's wound had become severely infected and he was critically ill. Oh, like septic? Yeah. Uh. Bo was able to talk him into surrendering. He received first aid in one of the Red Cross tents and was then flown to a hospital via helicopter which is kind of ironic since he likes to shoot at them so much. Yeah. You would think that's the last thing he wanted to be in. I gotta just fucking... He's like, oh, pew, pew. I just gotta say. Really? Bitch, I love you. No, you don't. We're trapped in this room with closed doors and you're farting. I'll kiss you. I don't want you to kiss me when your farts stink. I don't blame you. I get it. That same day, Jackie returned with supplies, and Bo carried Vicki Weaver's body out of the cabin while the family wept. In another knockout decision by authorities, Jackie was given permission to clean up Vicki's blood, and they provided her with buckets of water and rags to do it. So I guess it's okay to just destroy evidence? I understand that it would have been incredibly hard for the family to see all that, but removing a body and cleaning up the blood should never have been allowed. Yeah, it's like, here's some water and some rags and just fix what we did. Yeah. So that evening, Bo was given an ultimatum by Dick Rogers from the HRT. Get the weavers out by noon the next day or authorities would just go in and get them. So on day 11, August 31st, 1992, Bo returned to the cabin. He explained that the authorities were coming in full force if the family didn't surrender. He assured them that they would not be shot and they eventually agreed to come out. The negotiator took all of the credit, though. Quote, I had trained Greitz right there on the spot. 
Grites at everything a negotiator is said to do or to say. So, bravo. Good job training Bo on the spot. You did really good, dude. You did really good. <laughs> did the shit you couldn't do. Randy yeah. was placed under arrest, of course, and then flown to a hospital for treatment. Both Randy and Kevin were charged with murder and conspiracy, though I don't know how because Marshall Deegan's death was caused by friendly fire, not shots from either Randy or Kevin. Uh, so I don't know how they came up with this charge. Yeah. But both were found not guilty, though Randy was convicted on his failure to appear charge and his original bail condition violation, not even the charges for the shotguns. Just the original? Just the failure to appear. And he was fined $10,000 and 18 months in prison. So with credit for the time he had already served while waiting trial, he only served another few months behind bars and then he was released. In August of 1995, the Weavers sued the federal government in a civil suit. Damn straight. It was eventually settled with each of the Weaver girls receiving $1 million apiece and Randy receiving $100,000. Kevin Harris also filed a suit and after multiple appeals was eventually awarded $380,000. The FBI later admitted to covering up facts during the court case and their quote-unquote rules of engagement were deemed unconstitutional. How about that? Though those involved just got a slap on the wrist. Oh, you bad boys. You guys. In 1997, it was determined that the bullet that killed Sam came from Marshall Cooper's gun, which was the guy who originally didn't shoot the dog to avoid the firefight. But he was never brought up on any charges. Lon Horiuchi did have involuntary manslaughter charges brought against him by the county prosecutor for Vicki Weaver's death, but the charges were dropped on September 14, 2001 coincidence that they were dropped just days following 9-11 while everyone wasn't paying attention to the courts that that's that's the conspiracy videos you're watching i'm not saying that's what happened i'm just putting it as a question the the videos you're watching seems weird is it you kind of made it you you kind of connected something that didn't have anything to do with anything just saying Maybe. Well, just say it. Maybe it was easy to overlook those charges and well, go, let's morning, just forget about that because the, morning, the world's in mourning. That's fine. On the morning of September 11th, I woke up and took a shit. It doesn't have anything to do with this. That's why I put two question marks at the end of it. Oh, my God. <laughs> it will be 26 years since the standoff at Ruby Ridge began this August 21st. So we're coming up on that. Yeah. Shortly. Neat. So... That is the horrible fuck-up that is Ruby Ridge. What do you think? I think it's a clusterfuck. Totally. It it is an absolute clusterfuck from the very fucking beginning. It had to do with some guy being mad about some land that he fucking lost or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's what started. I don't know why they didn't press charges on him for, you know, like reporting false... Yeah. Information or it, something. It kind of, it kind of like uh, snowballed into this big fucking thing, turned into an avalanche. It looked like a guy was just trying to mind his own fucking business from the fucking beginning. Yep. He just wanted to be left alone. Now, as I said before, that team should never have shown up. Mm-hmm. They should never have shot the dog. But when that boy shot yes, back... Yes, Billy, we know. You've been over it 15 million times this episode. It's just, you can't be surprised if you shoot at officials and you get shot back. I mean... And shooting Vicky? 
holding a baby? No, no, mm. no, no, absolutely not. There was no threat. There was no weapon. There was no nothing. Just shot a person. Yep. And the people out there, uh, 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 their weapons were slung. Their hands weren't even on the handles. Mm-hmm. If I'm believing this as the way it's presented, uh, there's no reason to do what they did. Mm-hmm. I agree. But And then they tried to cover up their fuck-ups. Yeah. With blatant lies. But yet, everybody just got slap on the wrist. Slap on the wrist. All right, guys. Hope you... Once you you pick up a weapon... (laughs) Okay, Billy. aim it. Okay. I get it. It doesn't go that way. I understand. (laughs) All right, guys. So, uh, hope you like this extra long episode. Sorry. Because we know you don't like the two-parters. I honestly didn't think it would be this much information, but... Of course, it turned out to be a lot more than I expected. It's a big one. But at the same time, I don't know how you could turn it into a two-parter. You kind of have to put it all together. I don't know, where, where would you stop to, to pick up again? Probably after the first gunfight and then into the next 10 days or something. I don't know, but this is going to take me forever to edit. So. <laughs> I love so. you, Erica. <laughs> So, thanks, you guys, for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. I know you don't really care for the two-parters, and we thought since we just did one, we'd just throw it all at you at once. Don't expect it all the time, because it's a lot of fucking shit. But uh, we do appreciate you listening. And if you liked what you heard, please get on iTunes. Leave us that five-star rating and review like we talked about. This is the best and easiest way to help us. It really helps with the visibility of the show. makes us easier to find, and it'll counteract those shitty one stars (laughs) so we know it can be a pain in the ass but we really really appreciate it that's the best way you can help us and please check out the other great podcast on the murderly network and show them some love you can find all of us at murder.ly and if you would like to be a real baller like amy barton and financially support the show please go to our patreon page at patreon.com slash martinis in the macabre and make a pledge Even a $1 pledge gets you access to our patron-only audio each month. And for just a few dollars more, you can get some exclusive goodies. And once again, thank you to our patrons, Kate, Hunter, Cooper, Bridget, Molly, Sue, Corey, Amy. I hope I'm not forgetting anybody. (laughs) And uh, you guys, of course, have our undying love, Snuggle Bunnies. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram, Martinis in the Macabre, and on Twitter at Martini underscore Macabre. Be sure to join our fan page on Facebook as well at Friends Who Like Martinis in the Macabre. We love interacting with you guys and feel free to post whatever you like on the pages and to share our post. Sharing our pages, posts, and tweets helps get the word out too, so share away. You can visit our website, martinisinthemacabre.com, to learn a little about us, listen to our complete episode catalog, or to listen to all the songs created by Minimus Noah that we use at the end of each episode. Keep listening because another one will be at the end of this episode. And be sure to find his first official album release called Views on iTunes, Spotify, and many other music providers. All the links and the, the buttons and stuff are on the website, so just go there. For any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, shoot us an email at martinisinthemacabre at gmail.com. Or you can use the contact page on the website. And we, we've been conversing back and forth with several people via email. And Holly, I forgot her. She's a patron too. I talked to her through an email. And our our good, good listener friend, Donovan, keep fighting the fight, man. We're rooting for you. You're doing good. You're doing good. <laughs> Put your head down and power through. We, we love hearing from you. Keep us updated. 
So, uh, I think that's about it. Contact us on the website on the contact page if you want to talk to us. Or just talk to us on Facebook or wherever. Just say, hey, good stuff. <laughs> Alright, you got anything else to add? If there's anything you want to ask or anything like that, you don't have to go through any website. You don't have to go through anything. Just contact us through Facebook. Just uh, yeah. send a message. And um, you can ask us anything, actually. Mm-hmm. And we will respond. Yeah, definitely. So, once again, guys, thank you so much for listening and sitting tight to your seats for this two-hour power show episode thing. A lot of facts, not a lot of humor, but good debate, if you can call it that. We'll just agree to disagree. That's fine. <laughs> All right, guys. And that's fine. That's something we should remember as human beings. Exactly. You don't have to agree on everything, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. I still value you. Erica, I still value you. You are my wife. I love you. You're my best friend. I love you too. And I value you. And you're my best friend. And happy birthday. Happy birthday. Oh, happy shit. birthday. I for birthday a to you. Yes. All right. Stay safe, snuggle bunnies. And we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Remember that guy that came in who was on anti-abuse? Mm-hmm.
He came in again. And? Got a fifth of vodka. Really? Said it didn't bother him at all. Said he had diarrhea. That was about it. Damn. He talked shit about the medicine he was supposed to be on to get him off of alcohol while buying alcohol. Wow. He really wanted that alcohol. Yeah. I think he's one of those guys. He has like an iron stomach that we'll never know of. But he was like, yeah, it was no big deal. Give a fuck. I was like, God damn. (laughs) Enjoy this. (laughs) 